So we're in Lesson 23. Uh, we're going to look at the final part of the final vision. Uh, so we're in verse 36 of chapter 11. So let's, let's look at this together. Now this is the prophecy concerning uh, the Antichrist. So the first thing I want you to notice is the text shifts to discussing a future ruler that we know as the Antichrist. Now, before I read this, I want to I want to help you to understand when Daniel wrote this in his mind and as he was being led by the Holy Spirit to write this his discussion of the what we would determine would be Antiochus Epiphanes that's all future to Daniel. We know that the text shifts from talking about Antiochus to talking about this future antichrist, okay? But for Daniel, when he wrote it, it's all future to him, period. So to him, it might be the one ruler. Well, we know that part of it discusses Antiochus, and the other, the text then shifts to talking about another future ruler, which is the Antichrist. So that's what we're going to focus on today. And we're going to talk about the prophecy concerning Antichrist. And then in the first three verses of chapter 12, we're going to see the deliverance of Israel. Okay? So again, I want, to, I want to make mention of you, especially for those of you who are joining us. When we talk about Daniel, or when we talk about prophecy in general, you need to understand prophecy has nothing to do with America. It has to do with Israel, period. Because that's what the focus of the Bible is. The focus of the Bible is God's fulfillment of his promises, to Abraham, all the way in the first book, okay, the promises of the land, okay. It also has to do with the Messiah, who is who? Jesus. Now, we are Gentiles, believing Gentiles, righteous Gentiles. We've been grafted into, we're the wild olive branches that Paul describes in Romans that have been grafted into the olive tree, which is Israel, okay. So, we're going to talk about the prophecy now about the Antichrist. So look with me at verse 36. Then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt and magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemies against the god of gods, shall prosper till wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done shall regard neither God of his fathers, nor the desire of women, nor regard any God. For he shall exalt himself above them all. But in their place he shall honor a God of fortresses, a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and precious things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortress with a foreign god. And he shall acknowledge and advance his glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, and the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind with chariots, horsemen, and with many ships, and he shall enter the, enter the countries overwhelm them and pass through. He shall also enter the glorious land. Many countries shall be overthrown. But these shall escape from his hand. 
Edom, Moab, and the prominent people of Ammon. He shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. They shall have power over, he shall have power over the treasures of gold and silver, and over all precious things of Egypt, and also the Libyans and Ethiopians shall follow at his heels. But news from the east and the north shall trouble him. Therefore he shall go out with great fury to destroy and annihilate many. And he shall plant the tents of his palace among the seas and the glorious holy mountain. Yet he shall come to his end, and no one will help him. Okay, so let's look, first of all, his description. Now, let me just stop for a moment. You're saying, well, how do you know it's not Antiochus Epiphanes? Well, we're going to know in the text here that he's attacked by the king of the north. Antiochus, the earlier description of this king was is that he was the king of the north. Do you understand what I'm saying? Which was Antiochus Epiphanes. Now we see he's attacked by the, by the king of the north. So this is obviously some other ruler that's being discussed here. It's shifting. Because in the verse prior to this, verse 35, it talks about Antiochus dying, coming to an end. Okay? So now we see another ruler being discussed here. So let's talk about his character. This king will answer to no one as he does what he pleases. Verse 36, he answers to no one. He does according to his own will, the text says. He answers to no one. The other thing is, is he will proclaim himself to be above every god. So he claims himself to be above every god. So he's claiming for himself deity, which is not uncommon when you talk about having absolute power. When you have absolute power that's unrestrained and unaccountable, we just notice he's unaccountable, you have something that happens to the mind of humans in which they think that they're deity. Okay? So that's what's going on with this guy. And then he's a blasphemer. So he's not just a self-proclaimed God, he's a blasphemer. He will speak blasphemies against the true God. So when it talks about the God of gods in your text, it's talking about the true God, okay, the God of Israel. Your God. And then notice now, verse 36, I think it's interesting. Uh, it says, the time, until the wrath has been accomplished. Now that word wrath is used in the book of Revelation to describe which period? Tribulational period. Okay, so notice his prosperity. He will prosper in all that he does during the time of wrath or tribulation. So this guy is going to be able to do whatever he wants to do during the time of wrath or what we know as the tribulation. Now, I want you to notice his Nature, okay? Several things come out of verse 37 that I think are pretty interesting. Number one, this king will have no regard for his religious heritage. Because notice what it says. He will have neither the, he will regard neither the God of his fathers. So whatever his religious heritage is, 
And some speculate that maybe this is a guy who was raised in the Christian West, okay? So he has no regard for the God of the West, okay? Some speculate maybe he's a, an ex-Jew, all right? Because the God of his fathers is oftentimes a, a reference in the Old Testament to uh, the Jewish God, Yahweh, okay? Or it could be he's just simply a pagan, but he has no regard for his even his own religion. Okay, it's, those are all three possibilities here. But the bottom line is, is he has no respect for his religious heritage, period. Okay? The other thing is, he is inhuman in his disregard for women. The vision points out that he has, if you look there, he has no regard for the desire of women. And again, he sees himself as a God above every God. Okay? He sees himself as a God above every God. So you, you really, you're talking about a very egotistical man. Okay? Yeah, we, we've had types of this type of person throughout history, have we not? Who, who's one in the last hundred years that you can think of? Yeah, Adolf Hitler. Okay? A, a megalomaniac. Joe Stalin. Mao Zedong. Paul Pot. Okay? These are all types of Antichrist where they think they're it till they die. Okay? Till they, till they find out they're not God. They're, they're dead. Now, here's what we're going to see about this guy. Verse 38, his focus. He will honor his military might and prosperity. When it says there, uh, in his place he will honor the God of fortresses, that's talking about military might there. So he's going to honor his military might and prosperity. And then verse 38 tells us, that he'll be helped by an unknown God who may be Satan. Now, how do we know that this is possibly Satan? Well, Revelation tells us that the Antichrist will be what? Controlled by who? Not just controlled by him, but what? Possessed. Possessed by Satan himself. All right? And... To the rest of the world, that's an unknown God. Nobody, There's no worship of Satan in the world. Well, of course, there's Satanists, but they're very my, that's a minor group, very few people. So this, he's going to be helped, according to, to, um, to Daniel here, he's going to be helped by an unknown God who may be Satan. I, I think it is Satan. And here's what his influence is going to be. He will honor those who follow him with wealth and land. Look at what he says there. Which he acknowledged and advanced for his glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. That's talking about how he keeps control is, is how he has people under him, is basically he divides the spoils of what he conquers. Okay? And that's not unusual. Uh, that's really not even unusual in our system of government, is it? 
Do you know what I mean? Is that not true? Okay. And that's been in the, oh, that's not true of America. That's been true of America since the very beginning. Whatever party wins, that, you know, there is, there is such a thing as help giving the people who helped you get into power, uh, stuff as a thank you. Now, verse 40 to 45 is going to talk about the war against the Antichrist. And we're going to spend a little bit of time here talking about it. So what I want you to do is, for those of you who have a, have your books with you, if you go back to a map, go back to a map, uh, find a map somewhere, hold your finger there, or if you have your Bible, look at your Bible maps, which you hardly ever use. We're going to use your Bible maps today. We're going to use your Bible, the Bible maps, okay? All right, so look at your maps, and I want you to figure out where, where Ammon, Moab, and Edom is, okay? So you're going to, that's, that's going to be just east of Israel on your map, okay? So we're going to notice a couple of things here. First of all, this Antichrist, this king, Daniel says in verse 40, he will be attacked by the king of the north and the king of the south. He will be attacked by the king of the north and the king of the south. All right, let's remind ourselves, who is, what country or what area represents the king of the south? Egypt. What, what area of the Middle East represents the king of the north? Syria, which is Damascus. Okay? So according to Daniel... Syria and, and, and Egypt are going to attack the king of the north. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Because when we look at the world right now, where's the most instability right now in the Middle East? Yeah, Syria and where? Egypt right now, okay? Now, here's what I want you to see. He will move his army through many nations as he overwhelms them. So that what we're going to see here about this Antichrist is, according to Daniel, is he's going to be attacked by the king of the north and the king of the south, and then he personally is going to move his army through many nations to overwhelm them. Okay? He's going to move his, his army through many nations to overwhelm them. Verse 41 says, He will invade Israel as many nations are overthrown. He will invade many nations as Israel is overthrown. As, as he'll, in, he'll invade Israel as many nations are overthrown. I got that reversed. Then he makes an interesting point here. Edom, Moab, and Ammon will escape his wrath. Now, anybody know, if you look at your Bible map, you see where Edom is, you see where Moab is. Anybody know what country that is today? No, no, it's not Iran. Iran would be Persia. Just to the west, just over the Jordan River. Right here. Just over the Jordan River. Yes, Jordan. Somebody said it. Yes, it's the nation Jordan. Okay? They're going to escape the wrath of the Antichrist. They're not going to be bothered by the Antichrist. That's modern-day Jordan today, folks. Okay? Interesting, isn't it? 
So Egypt and Syria are going to attack, but Jordan isn't going to be bothered at all. Okay? Jordan isn't even going to be bothered at all. Okay, let's go on then. He will attack many countries, and Egypt will not escape. So this Antichrist is going to, with his armies, with his empire, whatever it is, is going to attack many countries, and Egypt is not going to escape. Alright, so Egypt's not going to escape. And he will dominate Egypt, Libya, and Ethiopia. That's pretty much most of North Africa, folks. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you look at a map, you have Egypt right here. Right over here is Ethiopia. Libya is right here. Okay, let me reverse that for you. I'm looking at it from my perspective, okay? So you got Egypt. Right down here, if you're looking at a map, is Ethiopia. And then right over here is Libya, okay? So basically... The Antichrist is going to control North Africa. All right? Now, here's what we see happening. Verse 44. He will hear of trouble from the north and from the east. He'll hear of trouble from the north and from the east. Now, does anybody know which nation is directly north on the same latitude, which is directly north of Israel? Yeah, Russia, Moscow. Yeah. Directly north, okay. To the east could be a couple of options, okay. There are a couple of nuclear powers to the east. One soon to be a nuclear power is what? We see it in the news. Iran, okay, Persia. A little bit further is India, Pakistan. And then there's even bigger nation, China. Possibly that it's going to be China. Why? Because in Revelation it talks about a million-man army. Okay? Revelation talks about a million-man army. There is only one nation in the world that really has that huge of an army. Everybody know what it is? China. And if you notice lately, they're spending a lot of their money that they're making off of us on what? On defense. Building up their army, okay? Building up their army. So the Antichrist is going to hear of trouble from the north and from the east. Now you can sit there and speculate what that might mean, okay? But in the future, that's what it's going to be. Now here's what he's going to do. He's going to respond to that by attacking and destroying many. This is how he's going to respond to the threat. He's just going to create all-out havoc and war. All right? Now, verse 45 tells us that he's going to plant his forces on the plains of Israel. Now, we know from Revelation that it's the plains of Megiddo. Okay? That's where the plains are, is Megiddo. And we know that final battle is what? Armageddon. Okay? Armageddon. So Daniel sees it on the plains of Israel, which is the valley of Megiddo. And what Revelation tells us will be Armageddon. And here's what we'll see. Here he will come to an end. 
That's the Antichrist will be finished off there, and no one will help him. Okay? No one will help him. That's what Daniel tells us. Specifically, if you want to really know what happens, go to Revelation chapter 19, which talks about the battle of Armageddon and the destruction of the Antichrist because he's cast where? Into the lake of fire. Okay? Now look with me at verses 1 to 3 and we're going to see Israel's deliverance. Yes? No, I didn't say they were going to be good guys. Are there good guys? I'm not saying they're good guys, but what I want you to understand is, is what I get when I read the book of Daniel is the Antichrist is a world ruler, but he's not necessarily the ruler of the entire world. See, we have a concept, because we've listened to so many prophecy conferences and so many prophecy teachers and stuff, we have this concept that the Antichrist is going to be the only world ruler. Daniel doesn't give us that concept. Daniel tells us that the king of the north and the king of the south are going to attack him. Then there's going to be trouble coming from the north and the east, and he's going to wage war against them. So he's going to be a world ruler, a powerful world ruler, who dominates the world. But you know what? You can be a dominating nation in the world. Does that mean that everybody's listening to you? No. I mean, we're a superpower. Does everybody do what we say? No, not at all. Do you know what I'm saying? So it's not that they're good guys. They're not. Okay? Because they're Gentile nations of unbelievers. It's just simply saying that he's going to be attacked by them. Okay? You know, for instance, when I look and see that he says he... Moab, Ammon, and uh, Edom are escape. That's modern-day Jordan. Wow. Who, who are they allies with? Do, do you know what I'm saying? So that it kind of gives you a perspective. But, I mean, in the future sometime, things are going to be different. Okay? So does that help you? Okay. It's not that they're necessarily good guys. Okay? So, like, for instance... God uses Medo-Persia to attack Babylon and destroy Babylon. Was Medo-Persia a good guy? No, they were just as evil as Babylon. It's just that's who he used to attack them. Okay? All right, anybody else with a question so far about the Antichrist? That's the good point. Didn't I say that? Yeah. How do you determine who's good and who's bad? You know, ultimately, the only one good is who? Jesus. Okay? That's ultimately the only one who's good. So what we see here is the Antichrist comes. He's going to be a pompous, arrogant, megalomaniac who thinks he's God, has no respect for anything but what he wants, makes war on everything, and he's ultimately going to be destroyed. That's the point that Daniel's making here. Okay? That's the point. Anybody got a question about that before we go into Israel's deliverance? Okay? Because Israel will be delivered. And here's the thing I want you to understand. Israel has to go through the stuff it's going through till the point 
where they're almost destroyed. Because it's where they're almost destroyed that they break. Their pride is broken. And they acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah. And when Israel acknowledges Jesus as the Messiah, that's a game changer. But right now, they're enduring what they're enduring, according to Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11, because of the hardness of their hearts towards the Messiah. And when that breaks, and I think, because here's the thing, they would, if it was not for the intervention of Jesus in Revelation 19, they would have been destroyed. They will be destroyed by the Antichrist, period. Does everybody understand me? And they have to endure what they're enduring till they come to the place of belief. It's called brokenness. Do you understand what I'm saying? We understand brokenness, don't we? Okay, why? I think it's because, let's go back to theology. Let's go back to when Adam and Eve sinned, all humanity was what? Doomed to what? To hell. Okay? All humanity was doomed to hell when Adam and Eve sinned. Because we all sin. God in his grace reached out and touched what? A people. He made promises to them. But the the Old Testament is basically a history of their what? Rebellion against God's grace. When we come to the New Testament in Jesus, Jesus expands that promise to Gentiles, to include Gentiles during this time, what we call the church age or whatever, the time of the Gentiles. Until, like Paul says, the full number of the Gentiles. What does that mean? Until the final Gentile is saved. His grace extends to us. Because the reality is, if it wasn't for his grace, we'd still all be headed to where? Hell. His promises aren't to Gentiles. We share in his promises because of his grace. His promises are to who? Israel, the Jews. Now, why did he choose them? I don't know why. I'm not God. Okay. Do you understand? But he chose them as a special people to him. All right? But he included us. Okay? Because when you talk about the olive tree in Romans, he, it talks about how he, he, that the, he grafted us in, but he took out some of the other olive branches. Okay? And that was, he discarded off Israel for the moment. But he'll graft them back in too, is what Paul says. So they'll be rooted back into the olive tree. All right? So I guess what I'm trying to say, Danny, is we are only, you and I are only included in, this, in these promises because of what? God's grace. Not because of anything about you. Not because you're special. Not because I'm special. We, we, didn't, we didn't have any promise. In fact, we're going through Ephesians. Look at your Bible, so Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Look at, he's wanting to remind us here. The Apostle Paul wants to remind us here of something. 
He says this, Therefore remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by what was called the circumcision made by hands, that you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What does that mean? You and I were aliens. We had no part in Israel. Period. Do you understand? Before Jesus, we had no part in Israel. Alright? He goes on. And strangers from the covenant of promise. What does that mean, George? That means when it comes to the covenants of promise that he gave to Israel, the covenants of blessing, the covenants of the land, the covenants that would be fulfilled, you and I were totally left out of that. We're strangers of that. Did you understand what I'm saying? We had no part in that. All right? So here's what he says. Having no hope and without God in the world. That describes you and I as Gentiles before Jesus. No hope, no God, no promises. We really aren't doing well, are we? But look at what it says there. But now, in Christ Jesus, so through salvation, through the cross, through Jesus, you who were once afar off have been what? Brought near by the blood of Christ. See, it's only grace. Is that so? You know, we're not special. The only people who are special are the Jews. Do you understand what I'm saying? We've been included. Okay, so let's let's go on. We're going to talk about the deliverance. Look, so if you go back over to Daniel, let's look at verses one to three, and notice what Daniel is told here. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. All right, let's talk about the deliverance here. First of all, he's going to talk about a time of trouble. The angel Michael fights for Israel. Okay? Hey, you want to, you want to talk about divine intervention? Read the history of the Seven-Day War. Read the history. It just happened. It happened in our lifetime. Okay? For most of us here, it happened in our lifetime. 1967. You want to know, talk about being overwhelmed militarily, and guess who won? Israel. Divine intervention. They should not have won. You look at the stories. It is a story of divine intervention. Why? The angel Michael fights for Israel. Let's go on. It will be a period of such trouble that Israel has never seen. Again, he's talking about the tribulation. It's going to be a period of trouble such that Israel has never seen before. You think the Holocaust was terrible. Wait for the tribulation. Okay? This period is known as the Great Tribulation. We know that. It's known as the Great Tribulation. 
The angel tells Daniel that Israel will be delivered. Israel will be delivered. And deliverance will be for those who are written in the book. Anybody know what book that is? Book of Life. Do you realize that the Book of Life is not just mentioned in Revelation, it's not just mentioned here, it's mentioned several times throughout the Old Testament? The whole concept of a Book of Life and being written in the Book of Life is very much at the foundation of thought through the Old Testament in the Jewish mind. Okay? So those who will be delivered are those who were what? Written in the Book of Life. All right? Now, the angel states, now, some people will say, oh, the resurrection is not in the Old Testament. The resurrection is not in the Old Testament. Well, they haven't read Daniel and they haven't read Isaiah. Because here, in Daniel, he talks about a resurrection. He actually talks about two resurrections. Okay? What do you mean? The angel states that those who have died will be raised to life. What does that mean? What is that, folks? A resurrection. Okay? They'll be raised to life. Those who have died will be raised to life. Some will experience a resurrection to eternal life. So some are going to experience a resurrection to eternal life. Here. Some will experience a resurrection unto the second death. Listen to what Revelation says. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, and from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before God. And the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works and by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades deliver up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's what's being described here is those who will be resurrected unto death. Okay? It's the second death. Now, here's what I want you to see. There's a reward, though. Those who are faithful to the end will be what? Honored and rewarded. In fact, look at what the text says. I think this is interesting. Look at what it says there, verse 3. And those who turn many to what? Righteousness. What does that mean, turn many to righteousness? What do you think that means? Yeah, those of us who share the gospel and turn others to righteousness, who, who's, who's the ultimately righteousness? Christ. We'll be rewarded. Did you understand what I'm saying? We'll be rewarded. All right? We'll be rewarded. So we see Israel's deliverance there. Now, next week we're going to see the sealing of the prophecy. So we're going to finish it up. Daniel's got some remaining questions. He's got some concerns. The angels are going to show him some things that I think are important for us. Now, anybody got a question?